He's so smooth. Uh, take that. <laughs> yes. Who's going to um, get that reference? Yeah. Who's from the 90s? Anybody, anybody who was alive in the late 90s? Where's Rob Thomas at? Where's Rob Thomas these days? Welcome back to Royals Weekly, your number one source for Royals talk. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always is a man who's trying desperately to snap his own 35-year losing streak, my brother Mike. Hey, one of these days, you got to play him one at a time. Just play him one at a time, God willing. One of these days. You'll grab a win in there someday, You're going to get a win, baby. This week, we'll discuss the sweet nectar of Royals victory as the boys in blue snapped a long losing streak and by some miracle managed to take two of four from the mighty White Sox. Almost had three, got kicked in the pills today. It was rough, uh, but we almost had it. Uh, Then we'll take a look at uh, the team overall. Now that we've officially hit the hollowed 40 game mark, the point at which Dayton Moore likes to evaluate the team and start making some decisions and all that sort of thing. Maybe decides to trade Michael A. Taylor, who knows? Uh, We'll make a game of it. We'll play a little, uh, like like we'll give them grades and that sort of thing. Mike and I are both teachers, so we love to hand out grades whenever possible. Um, so we'll make a little fun of sort of evaluating the Royals after the 40 game mark. Finally, we'll preview this week's slate of games. Mike, how are you feeling about where the Royals are uh, now that we're out of this nightmare losing streak? Uh, I'm feeling like this team is pretty much what we thought it was when we did our first show back in spring training. They um, are who we thought they were. They, yeah, exactly. Dennis, Denny Green, Dennis Green, Dennis Green. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to, I should splice in a clip of that, but I don't think we have the rights to it. No. Yeah. Um, but that they're basically a 500 baseball team when they're playing the way that they can. I don't think they probably ever play to the point that we saw at the beginning of the year and that they're going to be somewhat of an inconsistent team. And that's okay. If they're beating up on the teams that aren't very good, that's what I feel like is a stepping stone to becoming a good team. You're not going to beat the White Sox all the time. You're not going to beat the Yankees every day, although they had a really bad stretch there. You're not going to beat the top tier teams on a consistent basis, but you got to start handling the ones that aren't top tier on a, on a consistent basis. And I'm hoping that's where the Royals are getting to as they move to the middle part of the season. I think that's a pretty fair assessment of, of where they're at. I think the, the saying the Royals are going to be inconsistent is like saying this water is going to be wet, but uh, yeah, the, right now that sort of seems to be where they're at, you know, play sometimes, sometimes they'll look like a real, team that can really compete with the White Sox and sometimes they'll look like a team that shouldn't be on the same field with the Tigers. That's sort of where they go. You know, that's, that's where, where this team's at right now. And I did want to want to mention there have been a couple of small surprises for us. I don't think you or I, either of us really thought Carlos Santana was going to be doing what he's doing right now at his age, especially Andrew Benintendi. I wasn't quite as high on him. Uh, he's killing it. I know you were. Uh, cl- claiming to be the prophet here when he was hitting 200, you said he's going to hit higher than this someday. I knew Whoa. it. <laughs> I knew it. Um, and I don't think anybody thought Danny Duffy was going to come out and pitch the way that he started this year either. So that's been a great surprise. But overall, 500 is about the caliber of team that this team is. I'm just glad to be out of the losing streak. I really hope we don't get to back to another one because that was those were dark days, people. Dark yeah. days. Mm-hmm. Harkened you back right. to the early 2000s Royals. <laughs> I felt like they went on one of those every other week, you know. <laughs> oh, those were rough. All right, let's get into last week. We'll start with roster news for last week. The Royals sent down Daniel Lynch and Sebastian Rivero. Daniel Lynch came up for three starts, three outings. Mike, how do you think he looked in his debut stint? 
Um, well, you can't say good. I mean, you can't say, oh, it's exactly what we wanted because it wasn't. That first one was pretty good. We went, I think, four and two thirds in that first one. Three um, and two thirds, I Three think. and two thirds, something like that. Uh, in that first one, and he looked okay. Didn't get a whole lot of help from the relief pitchers that came in or the defense and things like that. But uh, then he had that really bad one, the eight runs in the first inning. Uh, and it didn't get much better in the third one. So it is what kind of we expected him to be and what a lot of young starting pitchers are. Not confident inside the strike zone at the major league level. His command isn't quite good enough yet. He may be, there's some talk about him tipping pitches, and I hope that's part of it because that usually is a pretty easy fix. My question is, does he have the confidence in his stuff to throw it in the zone? Because big league hitters are going to force him to throw strikes. You know, as in the minor leagues, I can, you know, maybe waste pitches and throw a little further outside the zone. Guys will swing because my stuff's so good. Big league hitters are going to make you throw your stuff inside the zone. So I hope he starts to develop the command and the confidence in his stuff to throw it in the zone and get hitters out. Yeah. The Royals also sent down Sebastian Rivera this week. He didn't get much run at the major leagues. He was sort of a, serving as the backup. I think maybe got one start, maybe. Maybe he came in as a defensive replacement at some point, too, or maybe two starts. But, you know, didn't see much from him. It's probably going to be a solid backup someday. Uh, the Royals also brought up Kelvin Gutierrez and put Hunter Dozier on the seven-day injured list because he ran into Jose Abreu and got a concussion, I guess, um, or at least hurt his head-neck area in some way. The only thing I'll say about this is uh, I had forgotten about Kelvin Gutierrez for some reason. Like I just, I never put him in the forefront of my mind as a prospect, but I actually want him to stay in the majors and I want Ryan O'Hearn to go down when Hunter Dozier is ready again, because Gutierrez, even though he's probably not like a real offensive threat is a really good defensive third baseman. They've been having so many issues at third. I would rather have somebody who could be a solid defensive player and probably still produce roughly as much as what O'Hearn does with the bat because O'Hearn's not lighting it on fire with the stick either. I'd rather have him than I would O'Hearn who gives you virtually no defensive value and honestly no offensive value at this point either. And so give me Gutierrez up because I think they could really use him, especially as a defensive replacement in the later innings because Dozier's not great at third either. Yeah, I, I like the idea of keeping him up. Yeah, you can put me on board for that too. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about his development too much because he's like a 26, 27-year-old guy. He's not really an elite prospect or anything. Let him let him contribute where he can, uh, I, I say at this point. But in terms of winning and losing baseball games, the Royals did a little bit better this week than their last week than they did the week before. They went two and five this week, which brings their overall record to 18 and 22. That's right. They're only four games under 500. It could seem worse than that because of that long losing streak, but still only four games under 500. They were nearly three and four this week. As we said, they lost earlier today to the White Sox in a brutal fashion, a game blown by Wade Davis in the ninth inning, but they got out of the losing streak this week. So that's a cause for some happiness. We saw some strong performances this week. Mike, who hit us with the strong performance this week? Uh, again, it's going to be Carlos Santana, just absolutely killing it. He's so smooth. Ugh, take that. <laughs> yes. Who's going to um, get that reference? Yeah. Who's from the 90s? Anybody, anybody who was alive in the late 90s? Where's Rob Thomas at? Where's Rob Thomas these days? But no, uh, he's killing it. 278 average, 533 OBP because the guy takes at least a walk, usually two a game, uh, 611 slugging. So he's uh, his OPS is over one. Uh, he had a big home run on Saturday as well. Uh, he keeps walking. And, and in the two spot, I love him there. Yes, it does set up somewhat of maybe it sets up a situation where you have a hard time hitting Sal three because you're asking for double play balls there. 
So they want to put Benintendi there and Sal's probably your best three hitter, but I'm still fine with that because Santana is going to be on base in the two spot. He's going to be on base. So, and with the way Benintendi's hitting, put him in three, fine. Put Sal four and give Solaire the day off or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Hey, I got a question for you here. Okay. What do these three players have in common? Nelson Cruz, Carlos, or sorry, John Carlos Stanton and Jose Abreu. I have no idea. Wait, wait, wait. Are they all, they uh, all mash baseballs. We know that. Oh yeah. (laughs) Are they, do they also share the names of Grammy winning musicians? Oh, that would be a good guess. No, they do not. Um, they all have lower OPSs than Carlos Santana. Really? Yes. They all have a lower OPS than Carlos Santana, who I think is sitting somewhere like, uh, between, between 10 and 15 or 10 and 20 in OPS in the American league right now. Of course, that's largely led by his OBP, which is extremely high because he walks all the time, but he is slugging too. I mean, he's hitting the ball. So, uh, Abreu, really that doesn't that. surprise me a ton. Cause I knew he went into a slump. Cruz surprises me a lot because he was hot early in the year. And so, yeah, that surprises me. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the great thing is here's the thing I can't stop thinking. What is Cleveland doing right now? Are they just kicking themselves? I know you want to get out or we'd rather get out early on a guy that's aging than late, but still, whoa, this guy he, is, he loved Cleveland and probably would have signed a short-term deal with them as well. You have to imagine, right? You have to imagine they would have been like, okay, we'll sign, we'll take, he'll sign for a year or two with them. He would have probably done that. Uh, but yeah, comes out and he's mashing and boy, they could use the offense because their, yeah. their lineup is not very good. But you imagine you put him in there with Franmil Reyes, with uh, Jose, Ramirez, Jose Ramirez, with who's, Eddie who's, Rosario. Yeah, Jose and, Ramirez is way up there in the OPS category right now. He's the only and guy. And that lineup starts lineup. to look a lot more dangerous than you know than it currently is. So yeah, I bet they're kicking themselves a little bit right now. Their their fans are certainly uh, <laughs> kicking and screaming. I'm sure when they see Santana stroll in with numbers like that into Cleveland. I'm going to talk about a minor league guy. I, 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 normally we would keep it to major leagues for this segment, but somebody asked me yesterday on Twitter to take a look at Jackson Coar's tape from his recent outings. He's had a really good start to the season. And they were like, do you think he's ready uh, to come to the major leagues? And because I have lar- large opinions about uh, Jackson Coar. And here's the thing. He has pitched really well. Three games in three starts so far, 15 and two thirds. He's got a 1.15 ERA and a 109 whip. That's really good. In his most recent outing, he was also good. Five over five innings, three hits, two walks, one earned, eight Ks. And that's the in and there were a bunch of clips put up by like Royals Farm Report and people showing this nasty changeup he was throwing. Nobody could touch it. It was amazing. So I went back and I watched the start. And y- you know my concern with Kowar has always been his fastball. Can his fastball gets hit a lot? It's not very deceptive even though it's going hard, even though he throws it really hard, you know, uh, hitters don't seem to have trouble with it. And so I watched and I'm pretty much was pretty much only paying attention to the fastballs. And I will say there was progress made on that front. His command with the fastball was really bad early in the outing. He was missing up a lot, like way up. He was a foot or two out of the strike zone a couple of times, but there has been progress. And he started to get that command under control a little bit. And you could see that he was trying to throw the fastball up in the zone intentionally to get some swings and misses. So he got a few swing and misses on the fastball, which is not really typical for him. He doesn't get a lot of swing and misses with the fastball because it's so easy to see for hitters. But I will say that they also touched it up a little bit. He didn't get scored on, but they were hitting balls hard 
off that fastball a little bit, or they were fouling him straight back where it was like, Ooh, they're this close to like connecting with that fastball. So I'll say this. Do I think Jackson Kowar is ready? Mm, probably not. I think that a little bit more time to refine that would be okay. That said, if he keeps pitching this way over the next two, three starts, and he just keeps dominating, he might have to come up. He might have to come up and see what's that fastball going to look like against major league hitters on a consistent basis. And it may get punished and it may not because sometimes he's able to get ground balls off of it. And that gets him out of bad situations with double plays or this was real. And this is really smart of him. He adjusts. So like if they're hitting his fastball or some guy crushes it, you'll see him start. He'll work more curveballs and change-ups to the next guy. And so, and he's starting to throw that change up inside the strike zone more often, which is getting a lot of weak contact from guys. And I love to see that. So if he sort of has started to tweak his approach a little bit, tweak his pitch mix, then maybe it's going to work a little bit better for him if he does get called up sometime soon. And that is exactly what I was going to say is I think it ends up becoming a lot more about pitch mix for him and about throwing strikes with those secondary pitches. I like his curveball almost as much as I like his changeup. Um, I think it's a great pitch, and I think he does a better job throwing strikes with it in certain starts than he does the changeup. I think the changeup sometimes he uses it as an out pitch, so he just wants to throw it down and bury it sometimes. But the curveball, he'll throw in the zone. And so um, he may be a guy who you you go, hey, he throws so much. He's got that 96, 97-mile-per-hour fastball, but throws a lot less of them than what you think a guy who throws 97 would. And, and maybe even some of those guys, they'll start – throwing what they call pitching backwards in the first inning. They're throwing curveballs to get over in the first, and that might be who he has to become in Major League Baseball if the fastball command never gets better and if it never becomes more deceptive. Yeah, I, I think that and, and if the gun was right, the gun and the, the broadcast was using was right, he was throwing pretty hard yesterday. His fastball has gone up a tick, and his body has gotten noticeably thicker, stronger, he has been working out, you can tell, in, in the offseason because he is thicker than he was last year, the year before, that sort of thing. And he has started throwing harder, and that might help his fastball performance a little bit too. So if I'm thinking like, okay, what's the way out of the woods for Jackson Kowar's fastball? It might be, one, the fact that he's throwing it a little bit harder. Two, trying to live up in the zone with it a little bit and getting swings and misses off that, using it as maybe an out pitch at times when he's been when he set guys up with that changeup and curveball. And then three, if he can find a little bit more command with it, that would be fantastic <laughs> because it's never going to be a dominant fastball. It's never going to be, I don't think it'll ever be higher than a 50 grade fastball, honestly, but if it can be 50 grade, it'll go really nicely with that 70 grade changeup. And what I consider to be a 55 or 60 grade curveball, I know a lot of people don't, and I want to speak back to those people, but I want sort of our third parties, our, our, our listeners to know. When you hear somebody say Jackson Coar needs to work on his curveball or he's been working on his curveball, it's all about his curveball. It is not about his curveball. Do not listen to them. Okay. It is not about his curveball. His curveball, he just uses it differently. It's not a hammer, it's not an out pitch, but he uses it to get strikes. He throws it over the strike over the plate intentionally, right? And it's okay if a pitch is not an out pitch. It's okay if it's not meant to get guys on O2 to swing at it. He has a changeup for that. It's a beautiful changeup and it's perfect. He needs a pitch that helps him throw strikes and get, you know, some, some variety in there. And the curveball serves that function for him. And it's great for that reason. Not for some reason, like somebody else imagines that it needs to be a perfect 12 to six falling off the table type curveball. It needs to be good enough. And it is good enough for him. Some people though, 
aren't doing good enough right now. And we call those people the struggling people. Um, now, not to pile on because he did get hurt this week, but Hunter Dozier is really, really struggling right now at the plate, in the field, basically everywhere. And now he's struggling while on the injured list. For this week, anyway, Dozier was 0 for 14. So he has a 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. That's his slash line, just a whole bunch of zeros for this week. In the, in the midst of an 0 for 30 stretch. So it's been a really rough time for Dozier. This is all compounded by a lots of different things. So the fact that he signed this big extension in the spring, the fact that he's been hitting balls really hard, but they're not dropping. And you can tell he's starting to press. He's starting to swing at stuff he shouldn't be. And that's just all started compounding. And then he ran headlong into Jose Abreu and he got the worst of it. And so you feel bad for Dozier. I hope he starts feeling better. I hope he comes back and starts hitting because they're going to keep playing him. They just paid him a whole bunch of money. So they're not going to like sit him. They're not going to send him down. I I keep hearing people say stuff like this. That's not going to happen. He's going to play. So hopefully the balls start falling when he comes back. I I called for him to take a break, like a week-long break before he got hurt. So maybe this break will ultimately in some ways be a positive because he can just let his mind relax, come back with a clean slate and just start hitting again. Yeah, and he's been swinging at outside pitches way too much in the sense that he's not attempting to hit them the other way. You know, good Hunter Dozier a couple of years ago was hitting plenty of balls to right center. Hunter Dozier this year is hitting way too many in the air, just infield pop-ups, and he's hitting way too many uh, outside pitches just on the ground. So, yeah, I'm hoping this. Uh, you never want a guy to get hurt, but maybe this is the break that he needed uh, to mentally reset and get back to where he needs to be. Yeah, Dozier, for those of you who don't know, the, the scouting report on Dozier coming out of college was big, strong guy, but he doesn't have a super quick bat. So when these pitchers start throwing him fastballs in the upper third and he's swinging at them, his bat is not fast enough to get on top of them. And so he ends up just popping them up, popping them right up, popping them up on the infield. I cannot tell you how many infield pops up, pop-ups he hit this week, but it was a ton. And so he needs to lay off that pitch. He needs to lay off pitches that, that look good to him because they're fastballs up near his eyes. Let them go, get back to hitting balls the other way, get back to keeping it simple, keeping it short and stop pressing. He's going to have to walk a lot too, because that's who he is. So walk, take your walks, take your singles, hit the ball, keep hitting the ball hard. And hopefully he feels a lot better when he gets back uh, to Kansas city and back to playing. Uh, I will pick it up with old Wade Davis, who uh, we watched today. Mm. And we both had our doubts about Davis early in the year. We, we kind of had our doubts about how useful of a piece he can be in a major league bullpen after the injuries that he sustained since he left the Royals uh, back in the day. Uh, he had two games this week, 1.4 innings, two earned runs, both today, uh, one walk, one hit by pitch, one strikeout. So the old Wade Davis, as we know, would strike out everybody and didn't give up any run. Yeah, he, he was not good today. Hit a guy, gave up two hits. And I and you said something that I thought was really smart. I hope this uh, nixes the myth that a guy is innately born with the closer role in him because <laughs> his stuff is not that of a closer anymore. He's got a good cutter. That's about it. Need more, yeah. need more out of Wade Davis, or maybe he's just not a high leverage guy anymore. Well, he's, he's not. And I don't think they go to Wade Davis if Stamont and um, Barlow had not pitched three of the last four days. I don't think Davis ever sees the field today. Um, I also don't think if Kyle Zimmer is healthy, if Jesse Hahn is healthy, I think both of them would be in as opposed to him. Here's a question. They had Zuber warming up when Holland threw over 40 pitches in the eighth. They had Zuber warming up to come in for Holland. They set him back down. Would you put Zuber in before you put Davis in in that situation? 
Absolutely. I'd put any pitcher on the roster, basically, in uh, before I put Wade Davis in. I'd put Irvin Santana. I'd put Jacob Junis. I'd put any of them. Pick a guy. I'd, I'd, I might let Salvador Perez pitch before I'd have Wade Davis come in and pitch. Because here are some fun numbers for you. Uh, Wade Davis has thrown 14 innings so far this year. His ERA is seven and a half. And so we're not talking again. Forget, wait, forget the name Wade Davis. Because this is not Wade Davis, as you know, Wade Davis, Royals fan, person who loved him when he was helping them win a World Series. This is the shell of Wade Davis. This is, you know, this is, I, there's a great argument to be made that when Zimmer and Han come back, Davis should be DFA'd, right? That he shouldn't have a, a spot on the roster. I don't know if they'll take that step because they like inventory, because they love Davis for his grittiness. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he just hasn't gotten it done. And it, it, there is really no future where you can imagine that he gets it back. You know, maybe if he changes pitch mix, I like his cutter a little bit. And if I were him, I, I would just throw it all the time. Mm-hmm. But even then, I just don't know that it's ever going to be enough to say this guy deserves a roster spot on a bullpen for a team that you want to compete at all. Yeah. And it's kind of the somewhat opposite of what Greg Holland did. Greg Holland has completely reinvented himself from the pitcher he was with the Royals back in the day. He is not the same guy at all. He throws a slider 70% of the time and a fastball. He doesn't ever throw his splitter anymore. He just relies on command of that slider. Well, the issue with Wade Davis is he may have reinvented the pitches that he throws. He has the cutter now. He threw a cutter back then, but he he could also throw 98. So he threw a four-seam fastball a lot. Throw the cutter, but he doesn't have the command with that that Holland has that slider. You know, Mariana Rivera can throw only a cutter because Mariana Rivera can put a cutter wherever he wants to. That's not Wade Davis. So, yeah, I just don't know that he holds a whole lot of value for the team anymore either. Yeah, so we'll see on that one. Um, In terms of what we're taking away from this week, uh, sort of our themes for the week, Mike, what is the thing that you're going to say, okay, now that I'm out of this week, here's what I'm taking away? Uh, Hope. I'm taking away hope. And not necessarily hope for a playoff run or anything like that. It's hope for a team that is taking a step forward from where it's been the last couple of years. And it's that simple for me. Certainly for the week previous, because (laughs) 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 got to take some hope away from that nonsense. Yeah. I'm going to take away the theme of a cleanliness because the baseball just looked cleaner this week, fewer defensive mistakes, fewer sort of terrible at bats, better situational play today. Uh, they got two on in what the eighth, the seventh, I think the seventh, and then they had Nicky Lopez bunt a guy over and then, and then Maryfield's able to put a ball in play and that puts pressure on a Bray who drops the ball. And it was just a lot better situational play this week. Everything looked a little bit cleaner. Um, and when we got to see after, uh, Dozier went out, we got to see Gutierrez, a game on Saturday where Gutierrez played third, Maryfield played right field. Dyson went into left. And we had like what would be considered a pretty good defensive lineup. And they made really good plays behind Mike Miner, who pitched really well as well. And so there was, the baseball just looked a lot cleaner from the team this week than it did when they were flailing throughout that 11-game losing streak. So that's the theme I'm taking away for this week. And hopefully that continues because I would love to see the team at least stay around 500 to keep competing, keep looking competitive in baseball games. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during virtually every game, so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. 
We've reached the 40 game mark, the milestone many set as the time to start evaluating where teams are and where players are. Now the small sample sizes are gone and everything has meaning. Everything before the 40 games is too small, but now we can look at the team and start to really evaluate performances, or at least this is how Dayton Moore sees things. I'm not exactly sure when performance locks in as an indicator, but he likes to think of 40 games as when you start looking at at players and start making decisions. So we're going to look at a few players and the team as a whole and evaluate how things are going so far. And because Mike and I are both teachers, we'll use letter grades to represent our evaluation. As everyone knows, grades are great. If you didn't catch the sarcasm in my voice, I absolutely hate grades. I think they're the terrible and most worst things ever. And if I taught a school or I controlled a school in some way, I would say no more grades. Grades are stupid. They hurt learning. But for the purposes of this podcast, they serve a purpose. Let's get to it. We'll start with the team as a whole. Mike, how would you evaluate the team as a whole so far? Um, well, it's, I'm going to give them a C plus as a, as a whole so far, hot start, but you got a throw C in plus that. the champagne of grades, the champagne of grades, baby, get you right where you need to be. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can't excuse that 11, 11 or 12 game losing streak. I, can't I think remember. it was 11, right? I started losing track at some point. Wow. Um, but you can't excuse that. And so, yeah, it's passing. I'm going to go ahead and give them a B uh, for this mostly because of where expectations were. Right. And so. They, if somebody had asked me so before you're grading on a started, curve, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say a curve. Uh, I don't have the math skills to grade on a curve that makes it too, too complicated. But if somebody asked me before the season started, Hey, the team's going to have 11 game losing streak at some point, I'd be like, Yeah, of course they are. They're the Royals. I mean, come on. But if somebody had said, Hey, after this many games, the Royals are going to be leading baseball. They're going to have the best record in baseball. I'd be get the hell out of here. This is crazy, right? So they've we we've the bad moment is more recent. So there's some recency bias there. But don't yeah. forget, they were had the best record in baseball for quite a while, two or three days, um, and so <laughs> which is something, uh, right. and led the AL Central for a little stretch there. So yeah, I think a B is a fair grade. Bs get degrees along with yeah. Cs and Ds. Uh, <laughs> um, but so uh, here's a question though to you: like, if we had said after however many games we've done, the Royals are 18 and 22 after what is that 40 games? I guess mm-hmm. 18 and 22. Is that where you expect them to be? Absolutely. That that would be like, hey, this is this is exactly where they're going to be. Okay, so then shouldn't both games. of us be giving them a C because this is that like the average? Well, I'm, I'm C's not average <laughs> in my mind. Boom, ask, logic ya. Ask Take any that. of the students I teach, these sort of overachievers, they think a C is like the worst grade that you could possibly get. And yeah, so they weren't going yeah. to school with me. I can tell they you didn't that. go to Maple Woods Community College like you and I did. And <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah, no, but I think a B is just, is a good grade. So I, I would give them, I would say, good job, Royals. You've done good so far. I mean, not great, but okay. Good job, B. And a lot of that has to do with sort of the off-season acquisitions, the people that they brought in. And so we're going to go ahead and make them our second evaluation. Mike, how do you feel about the new acquisitions and, and what they've done so far? Um, well, overall, very, very good. A minus for me. You know, if you told me that Irvin Santana was going to be a contributing factor to the bullpen and a good one, I'd have been shocked. Oh, If you'd have told me that Carlos Santana was going to have almost a 900 OPS, I'd have been shocked. Benintendi, I was really hoping for the 2018 Benintendi, but I was certainly skeptical of that. And so, and then even Mike Miner, you know, he hasn't been great, great, but the last start was good and he's had some solid ones here and there. So yeah, I'm going A minus. Michael A. Taylor is basically what I, we expected him to be. Davis is pretty much what we expected him to be. So we're yeah. not hugely disappointed there because that's what we expected. So yeah, overall A minus because I don't, they aren't even close to where they are without Santana and Benintendi at this point. 
Yeah, Santana, Benintendi, and Irv, I, and and I, even minor to a degree. I mean, we talk about. I mean, his ERA is pretty high, but he has had some decent starts in there, and then he threw a gem on Saturday. But you're right, Michael A. Taylor is exactly what we thought he would be before the season started. I know he got really hot to start. And people were looking at me like, oh, you trashed out of its big trading. <laughs> He's going to win the year. And then he ends up being pretty much exactly what everybody thought it would be. His defense has been better than I thought it would be. I'll say that. And it has been solid. His offense has been not good. And so he is pretty much exactly what we thought it would be. He's a fourth outfielder starting for a team that doesn't have a center fielder right now. But Santana, Benintendi, Minor, those have been some solid acquisitions, especially Santana and Benintendi. And you're right, without them, can you imagine what the record would be without those two? We'd be the Tigers right now uh, in terms of record. Uh, And so, yeah, those two are really, have been really, so they get an A minus from me as well. Uh, The only way I think it could be better is if somehow Michael A. Taylor had gone gangbusters, turned into an entirely different player, and then on a one-year contract for $1.75 million, you're getting a guy who's like, if he had stayed what he was in those first couple of weeks, then I think you, you're talking about something crazy good. But um, I'll definitely take it. A- minus is, is a solid, solid grade. Other than him, we'll move on to sort of, or other than new acquisitions, we'll move on to some of the old, old hands, the old familiar Royals, including home run king Jorge Soler. Like, uh, how, how are you feeling about Jorge Soler? Jorge Soler gets an F for me right now. And maybe I should have gone with a D minus because he's he stayed healthy. And that's that's a good thing because he does have a little bit of a history for getting hurt. But um he's, he's 79 OPS plus. 79. He's slugging 353. Who's this this Nicky Lopez? Guy, yeah. He hit 48 home runs two years ago, didn't he? Set a record in Royals history for home runs. He's just not producing offensively and it's really hard to have that in the middle of your lineup when you're getting guys on base at the top of your lineup. So it's, it's, it's rough to watch right now. You want him to pull out of it. You want to see a big solar bomb hit and, or just at least see him driving balls through the middle. So you can think maybe something's about to go start going well, but it's not happening. I hope this is an F now. I hope he's one of those students that gets an F and then does something next quarter to balance it out. Yeah. Like let it, let, let it straighten him out. I'm he's going to listen to this like, and he's going to say on a terror and just is killing things and, and, and goes back to sort of, you know, regression to the mean here. I'm hoping for mm-hmm. a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. He's going to listen to this and he's going to say, I need to get my act together. I need to buckle down. No more getting drunk the night before exams. Yeah. Exactly. No more, <laughs> no more using oh. the library as a place to sleep and go BM. No, <laughs> I am going to buckle down. That's right. Um, God, were yeah. you, were you, we did go to college together, I guess. So yeah, that's like yeah. The, the Mike Mead biography, right? There. I know, man. No more of that. Yeah. He's on double secret probation for right now, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I gave him a D. I wasn't as, the reason I gave him a D and not an F is probably, I, I ran across the stat and I think both Dave Lesky and Craig Brown put it out yesterday or something like that, that showed his split for when he plays right field and when he DHs and his numbers are a lot better when he DHs, but he's been asked to play a lot of right field this year and his right field while not stellar has been good only for slightly him. below average. Yeah. Only slightly below average. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, and so I gave him a D plus he's had some moments where you were like, okay, that was good. Or it looked like he was going to turn it around and he's had some bad luck, I guess, but people talk about how hard he's been hitting the ball or how hard he hits the ball. And that's great. But if you hit it hard on the ground into the shift, 
it doesn't matter how hard you hit it really, right? Like, uh, yes, you're more likely to get a hit because you hit it harder, but into the shift, it's still not a good, good thing to do. And so he needs to be going the other way. He needs to use the whole field. He needs to get some, uh, loft on the ball to start hitting line drives and not ground balls. And hopefully he ends up getting there and maybe we'll raise this grade a little bit. We'll give you a do-over. We'll let you do a revision. Solaire. Um, but they can, the, re- the reason this is so bad too, is because they need to trade him. Like <laughs> he's a trade piece, right? This is the last year of his contract. He's probably not signing another one with the Royals. They could use him as a trade piece, but not if he's hitting two Oh three. And so I need them. I need him to sort of raise that grade, raise those numbers so that the Royals will actually get something whenever they decide to trade him. Yeah. Uh, same here. Uh, the, the other thing I'm seeing, he's, he's, struggling a little bit to handle that inside pitch. He's trying to get it the other way, but he's hitting a lot of just lazy fly balls to center field, which is, you know, almost to the warning track for him because he's got so much raw power, but it's an out every time. And so that's the other thing, handle that inside pitch, figure out what to do with that inside pitch or lay off the damn thing. How about that? Yeah, that'd be nice. Speaking of somebody who usually makes the grade, let's go to Whit Merrifield. He's hitting 262, 327, 406 this year with a 106 OPS plus. Mike, what do you think of Merrifield so far? It's 40 games. He's 32. Uh, it's a B minus for me. He is 32 years old. I don't think that, I don't think for him, the aging thing's going to be as big of a problem. And I don't think that's what's happening right now. I do, I would like to see him get the ball in the air a little bit more. He's always been a guy who could do that. And we've seen a little bit of on the ground-itis from him lately. Um, but overall he's still doing more than what a lot of other people do. And he's still playing multiple positions and can play multiple positions. So that's why I give him a B minus. Is he the Whitmerfield right now that we're used to seeing? No, but then there are days when you're like, Oh, there he is. He had two doubles the other day against Carlos Rodon. And so it's there. I, I do wonder why the hell he's swinging at first pitch so often in the first inning. <laughs> He's uh, too aggressive. He has I, always been too aggressive, but we sort of lived with it when he was sitting 315. You yeah. Know? Um, now he's sitting 262, and it's like, stop swinging at everything. Well, um, not, I don't know if he necessarily swings at everything. He just, I, you're a leadoff guy. Like maybe the first at bat of the game, see a few. You know, if you're <laughs> on your third at bat of the game and you're swinging at first pitch, I understand that. But you're the first damn batter of the game. Take a couple. No. Yeah. I, I, uh, I gave Merrifield a C. That's a harsh, that's a hard, I'm trying to send him a message though. Like, <laughs> Hey, this is a C get it. You and you and Solaire get, get your head in the books, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's mostly because what we need from Merrifield is what he has been in the past. We need you to be a 290 to 300 hitter. We need you to be playing good defense constantly. We need you to be positionably flex or positionally flexible. Um, he's still flexible positionally, but he's not playing. hadn't played great defense at second. Uh, I like him better in right field right now, just because our other options in right field aren't great. And so when he's been playing right field the last couple of days, I was like, yes, this looks a lot better, you know? And when Mondesi comes back, which it looks like he'll, he's, he'll be back soon. He had a home run today in the Northwest Arkansas game today. Yeah. He's hitting in Northwest Arkansas. It looks like Merrifield will go back to right field and that could solve a couple problems. Uh, in the outfield and at second and at short. So like everything sort of gets better as, as you shift, shift your defensive players back to positions, they play better, but he gets a C from me right now. Would not at all be surprised to see him raise his grade moving forward, just because we still haven't seen one of those really hot Merrifield streaks yet. One of those 10, 15 game streaks where you're like, 
I can't remember the last time he didn't get a hit, you know? Like, uh, and so hopefully he, he runs into one of those soon because I would love to see uh, Merrifield get back to his regular numbers and, and ease my concern that his aging isn't going to spell a downturn in his career. Let's move on to some pitchers. Talk about the pitching staff. Brady Singer went today and uh, these numbers are a little outdated, but he's got something like a 3.95 ERA over seven starts a 1.3 whip-ish, 3.46 FIP fielding independent pitching. Mike, how are you feeling about Brady Singer? I'm going to call it a B, an optimistic B. It's only a Which B is because... Which is a regular B. Yeah. Uh, it, it's only a B because of the lack of consistency. Because he's been extremely good a couple times. Today being one of those. Uh, I think he had a start against the Indians that was really, really good. And then he's been falling off the rails a couple times. That notorious start with Angel Hernandez, where he got tossed from the game after he had already <laughs> been taken out. So you and I were texting about this a little bit today. There are times when he can do something, usually a walk and maybe or a blue pit or a combo of those two things. And he kind of his command kind of goes crazy after that. But if that doesn't happen, his fastball command has been so much better this year. And now he's like, it's so good. And I'm getting so much movement with that. I don't even need a changeup. And so he hadn't been throwing his changeup at all. You and I really thought for him to take the next step, he would have to throw the changeup a lot more. I'm not sure that's the case. Now, I don't know if he ever reaches elite status without that third pitch, but it looks like if he can command a fastball and not lose it mentally in the middle of starts, two might be enough. I don't know. I still want him to throw more changeups, but I did give him a B plus for his performance so far this year. I think you're right. I think the fastball command has gotten better than last year. And I also think you're right that he does tend to fall apart sometimes when things aren't going his way. And I think that's not good. Right. Um, they talk about how he's an emotional pitcher. They talk about it when I say they, I mean, Lefevre and HUD most of the time, um, but also Monty and Joel and all them. They talk about it like it's a positive thing, but it's not always a positive thing, right? Sometimes his emotions seem like they're carrying him right off the rails. He's so mad. He's so angry. He's so fired up that his ball just starts flying all over the place. Um, And so usually it's up. Yeah. Uh, And so I'd like to see him get some control of that. I'd like to see him be uh, as in control as he normally seems when things are going his way, because when he is the movement on that fastball is special when he is. You know, he has that command and when his sliders going well too, it can be really, really an effective weapon as well. I do think that in order to reach that elite status, he will need the change up. He will need that uh, third pitch. Um, And so I'd like to see him throw it more, but that's just me personally. Uh, But yeah, I think he's definitely taken a step forward from last year. And in today's start anyway, the fact that he could keep that fastball in the bottom third just made me tingly all over. All right. I know like it, you know, with new metrics and things like that, there's a lot more emphasis on throwing in the top half or the top of the zone with a fastball, especially, but I, he was locating it down and away to left-handed hitters and it was just so perfect. And even when he was missing, it was down. And I'm like, and I was glad that he didn't get away from that. Cause sometimes when you're missing down, you can start to say, well, I'm not going to get a strike here. I got to bring it up. But uh, he didn't, he kept pounding it down the zone and it worked out really well. Yeah, he had a couple calls not go his way today, and he mm-hmm. kept his cool, kept throwing it down, you know, didn't walk a bunch of guys. And so that's that's going to be key for him. In my mind, like not walking guys is huge for him. And so the fact that he was able to stay calm, even though he was getting squeezed a little bit and continue to pound the strike zone down with that fastball, that was huge for him. Uh, a guy he may be learning this from, a way to control his emotions, a way to stay cool under pressure. 
Danny Duffy has had a really, really strong season so far. Seven games or seven games started, 1.74 ERA, 1.12 whip, 2.31 fielding independent pitching. For those of you who don't know, that's really, really good. Uh, Mike, what's your grade for Danny Duffy this, this year so far? I give him an A because he's doing great. Um, he's been one of the only consistent pieces in the starting rotation this year. Uh, we've got, you know, we've seen some flashes from Mike Miner and Brady Singer, but Duffy has been consistently strong every single start. There are still times maybe you want him to go a little deeper, but you know, that's picking at small things because he's been maybe the mo- the best early stretch in a season that we've ever seen from him in his career here with the Royals. Yeah. Often struggles early in the season Duffy does, but so far, the ace of the staff, you would say. Like, uh, I give him an A plus. If there were, and is there higher A plus pluses? I don't offer Multiple A pluses, pluses in my class. Doesn't I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't either. Not in my building, son. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Duffy has just been a different pitcher this year. With one, his increased fastball velocity, and two, his decisiveness to throw it up in the zone. You talked about how advanced analytics are saying people need to throw more high fastballs. Duffy is benefiting from this concept a lot and so the fact that he's been able to command it but not only his fastball but also every pitch he's throwing right now he's got a four pitch mix and he can be dominant with multiple of them in in his outings and so there are outings when he goes out and his curveball looks as good as a slider looks as good as a fastball looks as good as a changeup, and he's just really tough to hit i mean if you don't know what's coming really really tough to hit and yeah. so i don't know how but at like 33 34 he seems to be like putting it all together and that's just something you don't see very often. Um, and so it's really great. It is a contract year for Duffy. Uh, they say the contract year is undefeated, although Jorge Soler is in a contract year and he's not, you know, covering himself in glory right now. So great to see Duffy do that. It really throws into question whether or not the Royals will try to extend him or something or sign him again. But we'll see. Uh, after or, hey, trade him. That seems really unlikely to me. There are some players that the Royals just don't trade. And he seems like the type of dude who they're going to be like, no, we think we get a a gooey, gushy feeling in our stomachs when we, when he looks at us. And so we're not trading him. I like that. Was that that a, was that a Dayton Moore impression or? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Dayton Moore is is, is like, talks like a (laughs) five-year-old. Dayton Moore routinely watches romantic comedies because they just make him his stomach do butterflies. He loves it. And so the fact that Danny Duffy, is his boy and he just loves Kansas city and loves the Royals and all that is going to, and I'm not trying to like downplay that or say the stupid or anything like that. Great. You know, a player loves the city. I love that. Right. Like, I, I was at his um, debut actually. So was I, we yeah. were there together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. But I think that means that they won't trade him uh, though. There would be, I think a robust market for him for our last category, our last evaluation. We're going to look at the top prospects for the Royals as a whole, as a group. Mike, how do you think the prospects as a whole, the top ones anyway, have performed so far this year? Um, I'm going to go with the C plus here. Isbell struggled a little bit there in the major leagues when he probably shouldn't have been in the major leagues to start. Okay, he got put there largely because of injury problems. Witt has struggled a little bit initially in Northwest Arkansas. I think we saw why he probably needed to go down to the minors and get at bats. You know, Kowar's done very well. Lynch did struggled when he came up to the majors as well. We've seen some good things from uh, Alec Marsh, which is good to see. But yeah, so I give him a C plus overall. There's a lot to be excited about still, but we haven't seen, I don't think, the best of what Bobby Witt will be this year. 
I don't think we've seen the best of what Lynch will be at this year, even at the lower, even at the minors. Isbell has started to hit a little bit more, which is good to see. Um, but no, I don't think we've seen the best of what they have to offer yet. I went ahead with a B plus because I, I'm not I'm not um, giving negative marks for Isbell's start in the majors or for Lynch's debut in the majors. To me, that's just two guys being asked more of than they should have been. And so, yeah, I don't I think Isbell's done pretty well in AAA. Kowar has been fantastic. The one guy I sort of say it hasn't been great from is Bobby Wood Jr. Actually, and he. You know what? This sounds. This is going to sound super petty, but I want everybody who was like, he should be in the majors. If you don't think he should be in the majors, you're f-ing stupid. I want all of those people to come out right now and say, I was f-ing stupid. <laughs> I'm I'm the one who did not know what the hell I was talking about because clearly he is not ready to be in the majors. If you've watched any of these Northwest Arkansas games, he looks like a hitter who swings at everything, who is impatient, and those pitchers are taking advantage of him for it. Uh, yes, occasionally he'll grab a hit, a home run, something when he finally makes contact, but they're owning him outside the zone right now. And he's struggling to adjust. Not unexpected. He's really young. He's a young hitter. He's a young hitter who has had a lot of success swinging at a lot of stuff, including during spring training. But he's having to learn patience now and he needs to learn it. But because of that, I'm giving us uh, the Royals prospects a B plus and saying, I like a lot of the things I've seen so far, like you, the Marsh, the Bolin, uh, the Coar stuff, all that. But Pasquantino. Pasquantino's hit, hit pretty well. If we're going deeper, these aren't really top. Pro- I wouldn't call Pasquantino a top prospect. But we've oh, seen some boy, good stuff. Brady McConnell. Yeah, I don't know out. if I'd call him a top prospect either. But Not he's a top he's prospect, done, but he's, he's doing okay. well. Done okay. But yeah, there are some prospects doing really well, so I give him a B+. One thing, two things here. First off, this is a family podcast, sir. Okay. Two F bombs. Did, did I drop this two F bombs? This is a family podcast. Sorry. I'm two. not sorry. What do I? I'm not. Who would you give the best grade to a top prospect wise or any prospect? Who would you give the best grade so far this year? They Co-war. haven't played a lot, mind you. Any prospect? Yeah. Govern? Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Everybody knows I love Jimmy Govern, but no, not Jimmy Govern. Uh, I would have to say probably Alec Marsh. Yeah. He has been really, really, really good. Even though he gave up a grand slam, I think yesterday, he struck out like 10. He's been just insane good at double A. And it would not surprise me to see him up in uh, Omaha before too long because he's just really, really good. Um, and so I think he sort of pushed himself into the conversation uh, with Coar Lynch, that group as like, okay, he has that level of stuff, that level of potential as Lynch say, or Asa Lacey, you know, um, another guy who's been somewhat disappointing because his command has been really lacking control uh, really there. Yeah. Well, I don't distinguish between the two and this is a longer, deeper conversation about like <laughs> sc- scouting language. I don't distinguish between those two things. Um, and so, uh, I could explain why, if you're interested, ask me why, but, uh, yeah, I say like, that's, uh, that's where the team is as a whole right now. I did have a question for you I wanted to ask well, and that's about Mike Matheny. If you were going to grade Matheny up to this point in the season, since we're sort of, let's turn the camera on to the, the evaluators themselves, how do you think Mike Matheny's done this so far this year? I, I would probably give him a, a B plus as well. Just there's, there's kind of one thing hurting him and one thing helping him. I have been wholeheartedly impressed with the use, his use of the bullpen in the sense that it's not antiquated thinking. He is using guys the way that I kind of would too. He is overusing the bullpen, 
but I think that's more of a function of what his starters have given him. Then the, the knock is I still can't justify the Junis to the bullpen, Lynch to the starting rotation decision and think that, and I know he may have not even had a whole lot to do with that, but he's the manager. I'm sure he had some input on that saying, Hey, yeah, bring him up. Like I, I can't say, Oh yeah, put Junis in the pen, Lynch in the starting rotation when Junis was mowing him down. I still can't see that decision. That sounds right. Uh, his grade's going to go down significantly though. If he keeps hitting Ryan O'Hearn, if he keeps putting Ryan O'Hearn in the starting lineup, I'm going to be uh, disappointed in you, Matheny. <laughs> It's a light week for the Royals this week, only five games, a two-game interleague series against the Brewers, so we'll get a chance to see former Royal great Lorenzo Cain. Yay! I love Lorenzo Cain. Lorenzo Cain is my girlfriend's favorite, I think. She sort of waffles back and forth between Hosmer and Lorenzo Cain of that that 2015 generation, but she loves Lorenzo Cain. He was my favorite as well. Then the Tigers come to town after the Brewers. Uh, The Royals will have a chance to avenge the sweep that they suffered at the hands of Detroit. I cannot believe the Royals got swept by the Tigers. That's just, that's something that I just can't, can't even fathom. How do you lose an entire series to the Tigers that you should beat them every time? They're terrible. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Mike, what are the, what are the Brewer? What does the Brewers series look like? Uh, well, we think that uh, Bubich is going to go in the first game against Brandon Woodruff. Uh, that's a big, Bre- maybe 20 and 20. Yeah. That's a big, maybe we just don't know that spot has been shuffled and all these things. So um, we just don't know. Woodruff is off to a really good start. He's got a 1.64 ERA. He's below one with his whip, which is uh, walks and hits per innings pitch. If you didn't know that he has a five pitch mix and he does throw a hard fastball. So this is going to be a tough draw. He's a right-hander, um, probably their best starter at this point in the year uh, on a Burns. team that is those Burns better. Even Burns is their best starter. Wow. Golly. They got some good starting pitch. I know. How are, right. How are they only 20 and 20? <laughs> Um, their lineup, their lineup isn't great though. They're to be honest. Their lineup's a little lacking, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see the series as a whole because I like the Brewers a lot. Um, I like the ballpark there. Um, I like the team that they've put out the last few years though. They've lost a lot of pieces to those teams. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, that second game will be Burns, uh, Corbin Burns against, we don't know who, who for the Royals yet. Yeah. He's, he's basically a twin of, of Woodruff up to this point, but he's the one that they sort of point to as their ace. He's gone six games, 1.57 ERA, 0.64 whip. He throws this nasty 95, mid-90s cutter that he throws almost all the time. I mean, more than 50% of the time. He Instead of throwing a four-seam fastball, he throws a wicked cutter, 95, 96, that he'll throw 50% of the time and mix in a sinker, a change, slider, curve. So tough mix from him. He's a really, really good pitcher. Uh, so they get two games set and they seemingly face two of the best pitchers in, in that whole division. And so uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one there, but hopefully they can, they can find a way to scratch a few runs against Burns and Woodruff. After that, they'll play the Tigers again, another, another series against the Tigers, a three game set. I want to see another sweep. We swept the Tigers early in the year. Then they swept us. Now let's us sweep, sweep them again. Just nothing but brooms all over the place. Mm-hmm. Tigers are 14 and 26, not a very good team, not super talented, but they did start to pick it up this week when they swept the Royals. Uh, then they lost two of three to the Cubs. Uh, it's their offense that's really, really weak. Their pitching staff has some good pieces, but it's not. There's nobody on it that like really scares you that much either. Mize is okay, you know. Uh, Scooble's got some good stuff. Turnbull's got some pretty good stuff, but honestly, you you don't look at their team and say, "Oh, this team is going to compete anytime within the next five years," because that's how that's how lost they are at the major league level, and so. They ought to take at least two of those three 
uh, and then maybe grab, I'd like to see three wins out of these five. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Yeah. Grab yep. One from the brewers and two from the tigers. That's yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, those expectations can always shift, but uh, yeah. One from the brewers, two from the tigers, maybe three from the tigers. Cause they're terrible. Gotta grab the wins against the teams. You can, you gotta beat the bad teams. Damn it. All right. We'll end this week. Like we end every week by talking about something that isn't baseball. What's fascinating you outside of the world of baseball this week, Mike? Uh, well, it's been fascinating for me for a long time, but there's been some stories about it this in the last couple of weeks, really. Uh, self-driving cars is a fascinating new technology. They've been testing them for years now. Tesla has you know, self-driving technology within their cars, and actually almost any new car you buy has some sort of technology that is self-driving related. So like the car that we have will keep you in a lane or, you know, progress monitor how f- close you're getting to other cars and slow you down or speed you up and things like that in cruise control. Um, but there was a story about a crash about a week ago, I think, uh, where allegedly the people riding in the car were not riding in the front seat at all, letting the car drive itself uh, and it crashed. And there was another story that about that I read about this week about a guy who was cited for careless driving while uh, riding in the back seat of his self-driving car something that he claims to do a lot and that he will continue to do. And he's fighting the citation and all these things. Uh, and then Tesla came out and announced that they'd be making improvements to their self-driving technology in the next month or so. And so what I want people to think about, and I have this conversation with my students often is just how revolutionary something like a self-driving vehicle would be. Okay. Huge. I want you to imagine you could fall asleep in your car and wake up eight hours later, eight hours away from where you started. Okay. I want you to think about the end of drunk driving as we know it. Okay. The, the ramifications are just insane, but it's, it's something I'm looking forward to. You know, I want, I want that to happen. I know there are hurdles upon hurdles upon hurdles to having full self-driving cars, but um, I'm interested to see where it goes and I'll always keep looking at it. So as an exceptionally lazy person, I cannot wait for the era of self-driving cars. But the thing that my girlfriend points out to me frequently, it will also be a boon for the the disabled community, right? Like those who cannot drive cars, drive or become licensed to drive because of some form of disability may have the opportunity to start having that sort of transportation with a self-driving car. Uh, Also, you know, the elderly and things like that. Like it will, it will change society in very significant and interesting ways. So yeah, I'm all about the self-driving car. The thing that I'm focused on this week, it's not allowed to be baseball related, but it is still sports related. It's soccer. Ever since the pandemic started a long time ago, I got really into soccer because soccer was the, for a while there, the only sport that was still playing. And then and you, so could you could gamble on you degenerate. <laughs> that, oh, that, no, 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 no. I'm a degenerate. He <laughs> <Yeah>. says <laughs> I'm a degenerate. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to opposite day. No. So I've been watching a ton of soccer, Premier League, MLS, MLS season just got going a couple few weeks ago, watched Sporting Kansas City game today. It was great. But the thing that I'm super excited about is that this summer is going to be a jam-packed U.S. men's national team summer and U.S. women's national team. There's just going to be so much national team soccer this summer, and I'm getting super excited for it. And so I've been reading a ton about the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. women's national team, and just sort of getting psyched for national team soccer again. The U.S. will play the League of Na- the Nations League uh, coming up soon. I was I was almost going to call it the League of Nations, but that's a video game. Uh, the Nations League also semifinals. the precursor to the U.N. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what it is. That's what it really was. I think that's actually it. I don't I don't know if it was actually a video game, but they're going to play Nations League. Then they're going to play the Gold Cup. I'm getting excited for all of that. 
And so, and I think the women's team has the Olympics coming up. The men's team didn't make it, but uh, that's all going to be a, just a really fun summer for soccer watching. So one of my greatest memories is in Lincoln, when the U S women's national team was playing the 2015 world cup, I went to this big to do that they had there. And it was just so much fun to watch soccer with a bunch of excited fans and have a blast as the U S women's national team destroyed Japan five to two, I think. Um, and also exciting. The Kansas city just got a professional women's soccer team back again. They, yes. uh, they just started their regular season as well. I think they got a mm-hmm. draw for their first game in the regular season. So uh, I'm excited to go catch. I think they're playing right now at uh, citizen. What's it called? Community Bank Park over there where okay. the T-Bones used to play. Now they're going to be the Monarchs. I think they play there for now. I hope they get a stadium built for themselves. Excited. A lot of, lot of good soccer in Kansas City. Yeah. Even though I-, I am not the biggest soccer fan, it is a fun sport to watch live. I've been to sporting games. It's a good time. Yeah. I can't wait to get out some uh, Kansas City women's soccer games. Um, that's all we have for this week. Support your local soccer team. Uh, support <laughs> your local baseball team. Make sure you subscribe to us. Rate, review, that sort of thing. And tell everybody you know that uh, Royals Weekly is the best place to find all sorts of information about anything they want to know about. Thank you, everybody. That's all we have.